0: I'm Devorah Vail. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, I just want to dedicate this class to a successful surgery for Moshe ben Chaya Victorine and a Rafua Shalema for Eliezer Yitzchak Ben-Sara and Rivki Bas Yehudas. Okay, last night I taught a class actually on jealousy, and I'm going to begin with that, Pirkei Avos. Pirke Avos chapter 4, Parak 20, 28, Mishnah 28, Rabbi Elazar Hakapar says that jealousy, lust, and glory Remove a man from the world, or in Hebrew, hakina the moziin et adam min haolam, that these three things—jealousy, lust, or desires that are overwhelming—and the desire for kavod, for honor from other people—remove a person from the world. So I mentioned this last night in a class I was teaching to young women. There's a program that Ola Mee puts out that's called Seriously Sold, S-O-U-L-E-D. And it's for women across North America who are becoming Chuba. Uh, I think from the ages of 20 to 35 or something. And they asked me to teach a class on jealousy. So I asked them what do they, what do they think it means that these three things remove a person from the world? And I like what they said. One of them was saying that these three um, character traits, which are considered you know, among the ugliest of all of the character traits, you could add to that anger and arrogance, but jealousy, desires, and honor seeking. They said, remove a person from this world because these three things are so full of self-interest. A person is completely focused on themselves, right? Why do you have what I want? That's, you know, it's all about me. The 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 lust is I can't control myself. I have to have whatever it is that my passions are driving me towards or I can't be happy, right? And the third one, which is also honor seeking, you know, you're constantly thinking about yourself and the, the honor that everybody owes you. So what they said is, We're supposed to be part of the world. We're supposed to be, you know, interacting with the world around us and thinking of ourselves as what can I give to the world? How can I help the world? And these three character traits, jealousy, taiba, and taiva, which is a lack of impulse control. We're going to uh, discuss it today. That's going to be what our series is on. The second one called ta'avah right, which we usually associate with lusts and desires of a sexual nature. But it's actually really the umbrella term for that would be impulse control, the ability to control our impulses. So what uh, this one woman was saying that if you can't do this, then you're always going to be in a posture of taking from the world, of what can I get, as opposed to what can I give. And that's why in a sense, these three remove you from the world. They remove you from your place of seeing yourself as a giver, as bettering society. So everybody gets this idea, I hope. Um, So basically, they're all three totally self-serving and self-centered and show a lack of connection to other people in a healthy way.
1: So in this series that we're going to be exploring based on the teachings of Rebetz and Dina Schoonmaker, again, who
0: we all love so much, and I'm simply a, a vessel to give over her teachings. Um, we're going to be focusing on the Mida, the character trait of ta'ava, ta'iva, which has a very negative connotation in Jewish writings, but we're going to kind of give it a new face and understand it in a different way. Now, it's interesting, I was thinking, you know, in terms of the Parsha this week, we mentioned that we're in this period of Shovavim. Shovavim is the period beginning with the reading of Shemot, Shemos, right? The first Parsha in the book of Shemos, Exodus. And Shovavim takes us through the parshiot until Mishpatim, right? The letters of Shovavim are the letters of each Parsha, Shemot, Vaera. Um, the Shalah, okay, I'm not going to go through it, I can't think, whatever, trust me, trust me on this, okay, so the Mem of Shovavim is this week's Parsha, which is Mishpatim, now it's interesting that, you know, just looking quickly at Mishpatim, no, first thing I want to say is, this period of Shovavim is a time where we're told that we need to work on ourselves, and specifically in the area of sexual purity, now, of course, this relates more to men in certain ways, in terms of them controlling their impulses in that area. But even in terms of women, this is a time period where a lot of women re- go back and restudy the laws of uh, family purity, right? And in general, it's a time of year when there's more of an emphasis on this idea of purity, of Being in control of one's impulses, which of course, the most animalistic of them all would involve the sexual part of mankind, right? Harnessing that, using it, channeling it for elevation, as opposed to allowing it to drag you down. I always like to say that the same word, kadosh, holiness, right? which is the idea of separating oneself in order to elevate oneself from those things that drag us down. The same word, if you just change the vowels underneath it, spell the word Kadesh, Kadeshah, right? Instead of Kadusha, Kadeshah, which is a prostitute. Now she's also set aside, so to speak, for a specific purpose, just like Kadusha is set, setting aside um, oneself away from certain things in order to elevate oneself, the Kadesh is set aside for a specific lowering of oneself. So in this time period, is all about controlling one's impulses, specifically in that area. But interestingly, if we look at Karchas Mishpatin, which is, it, it, it's just full of laws between man and man that are obviously directed at the human impulses, the negative human impulses, right? Just the very beginning, it begins with the law that, you know, if you own a slave, after six years, you have to let them go, right? In the seventh year, they have to become free. Now we could imagine how hard that might be. You've got this wonderful slave and all of a sudden you just have to let them go. So you'd have to be able to control your desire, right? Well, I own this slave. This slave is mine. They've been working in my house, you know, f- for six years now, I don't want to just let them go. I mean, that's how the partial
1: begins, but it
0: gets into all kinds of things. You know, for example, um, anyone who lies with an animal, okay, should be put to death. So that's a clear, uh, impulse control in a very, uh, you know, low place. You can't permit a sorceress to live. There's all these, um, laws that are telling human beings that even if you may want to do something you're going to have to work against your impulses how about this one you shall not taunt or oppress a stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt you shall not cause pain to a widow or an orphan right in other words we have a certain impulse to lord over those weaker and helpless in our community That would be a natural uh, impulse. And God is telling us you have to fight against these impulses, right? Anyway, it goes on and on, even in terms of bribery, right? Don't take a bribe because bribery is going to blind the eyes of the wise. If a poor person comes to court, don't favor him over the rich person because your natural compassion is going to want you to. You still have to judge fairly. So there's all kinds of ways. Don't accept the false report, okay? Don't follow the majority for evil. And if you encounter your enemy, right, who's got his donkey that's crouching under a burden, you should surely help him. Well, isn't that going against your impulses? I don't want to help him. He's my enemy. Why would I want to help him? So the entire Parsha Mishpatim is basically addressing The idea that human beings have to constantly fight against what might be their natural impulse, their natural taiva, and work to develop and elevate themselves by recognizing how we have them and, you know, engaging in the battle not to give in to them. So that's what we're going to talk about in the next little while. And we're actually gonna go back to the elements that we talked about. All of you are um, masters and experts at the four elements, but that's actually how Dina Schoonmaker begins this class on Taiga. Because what she does is she shows how, depending on which element is primary or dominant in your personality. And of course, we all have all four of them, earth, water, wind, and fire. She shows how this ta'ava, these impulses, affect the four elements in different ways. Okay, and that's what we're going to get to. But just before we do that, just a quick review of the elements so we're all clear on what they are. And again, so what is ta'ava? Ta'ava basically means impulse control. When you make a decision based on emotion or a craving, anybody else wants to put their um, cameras on I'd love to see more faces anyway okay you shy people but I have some beautiful faces here so I'm going to focus on them (laughs) okay because then I'll know if I said something funny and you're actually laughing okay anyway so what else is tied but why is it so important to control our emotions to control our cravings because what happens is when we're in control it frees up energy for good things. And we're able to overcome things that drain us and confuse us. And the result of being able to have have better impulse control is the ability to feel lighter and more energetic, not guilty and weighed down. Okay, we're gonna talk about how how that works. So we all know there's four elements of creation, earth, water, wind, and fire. And Rav Chaim Vital in Sefer Sharei Kedusha, the seventh chapter, he says that these represent four different human struggles. Fire is hot. It represents passion that goes up, anger, arrogance, putting others, others down, right? We said that the H personality to feel that desire to rise will often in a negative way use that fire to put others down and make themselves feel higher. Okay, um, and the antidote to a fiery personality is sablanut, patience, and anava, humility. Okay, then we have the Mayam person. So Mayam water always represents pleasures. And we know that water spreads out, right? If you leave water, it'll just spread. If there's no shore, if there's no boundary, it will just spread. It would just, right? It's it's a miracle that the water in Florida where Marlene is, the waves come up onto the shore and then they go back because there's actually talking about it in the Torah that if God didn't say go back, it would just naturally overflow overrun the entire world the world is mostly made up of water we're mostly made up of water these are our emotions and there's no boundaries and this is also represents pleasure right there's no boundaries to the pleasures that a person wants and um and unless we make boundaries um we're in danger right we we eat one piece of chocolate and of course we want more we buy one pair of shoes and we say, well, what the heck? I sh- might as well buy that other pair of shoes too. I like those ones too, whether we need them or not, right? And women, of course, men will never understand this, right? Why do you have 20 pairs of shoes in your closet and you said you don't have anything to wear? What are you talking about? They don't get it. You know, I need something for this outfit. Come on. You know, I think there was a comedian who did a whole thing on women's shoes. Did you see that one? How there's like, 25 names for women's shoes and men basically have black, brown tie-up or, you know, um, what what are the other ones? Uh, slip-ons, you know, and that's about it. That's all their choices, right? Anyway, maybe they're getting a few more now, but but um, not like women. Hey, Ruach is speech, right? We said speech. If you remember back to our class, Migdal Bavel, the Tower of Bava, where they all got together with their speech and made this tower, And of course, that is wind. And the negative of that is Lasham Hara, lying, exaggerating, idle talk. Okay? And the last one is earth, Afar, which the negative of Afar is earthiness. It's, you know, a lack of zrizut, a lack of alacrity, slows us down, makes us heavy, We don't feel like doing anything. Suzanne's on her treadmill, I think. So, you know, she's fighting the earth element and getting up and going, putting on her workout clothes. See, that's how you do it with movement. Remember, we said that. So, and it also, uh, Afar is, of course, sadness, laziness, depression, despair. And, you know, we know even from modern psychology that one of the ways to combat this is to move, right? Is to get those healthy endorphins pumping through our body, to get up and dance, to get up and move. And when you shake up the body externally, it has an effect on the emotions, on the internal self. So the rumbum in Hilfos Deos asks the question, which one are you? Which personality are you? So the average age person struggles with wanting to grow. And the way they do that is they burn out the levels underneath them in order to rise above. So there's two ways to burn the level beneath you, right? You've been doing something, you decide you want to change your behavior and you want to make that other behavior disappear. So you begin to practice the new behavior and that one is burned away, so to speak. But of course, we know that another way that, that, ang- that age people do this is possibly by yelling at the people around them so that I can feel that I'm rising to a new level, right? I'm better than you. Why can't you be more like me? What's wrong with you? And this is a way, right? That, that we can have this sort of counterfeit growth. Now, listen, age people are sincere and motivated and willing to work hard, but they can spend a lot of time being dissatisfied with things. And sliced
1: tiger nuts and sliced bread.
0: Sorry, I didn't uh, mute. Mute yourselves if you didn't, and I'm just going to mute everybody. Okay, so... um, So age people can spend a lot of time being dissatisfied with things not being the way that they want. And women are very inclined towards this. Um, Dina Schoonmaker gives a cute thing that, you know, a woman who sits down with a coffee after her husband leaves for work that morning, and she reads an article about 10 things that a good married couple do. And while she's reading it, of course, she's thinking, oh, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. And then she concludes by the end of the article, you know, we have a lousy marriage. We don't do any of these things. And, you know, women can tend to be very extreme, right? They'll read something, they'll get inspired by something, and all of a sudden, nothing is good or it's no good. So, you know, she says her husband walks in after a, you know, a day of work and she's got this thing posted up on the fridge about what good, you know, what a good marriage is and what good couples do, because, you know, all day she's been thinking about how, you know, we're not, we're not what we should be, even though, you know, before she read this article, everything was fine. So, you know, it doesn't have to be your marriage. It could be your figure or your salary. We have a new standard in whatever area it is, and all of a sudden we become unhappy with the present reality. So this is the difficulty of being an age personality. Dina says a lot of women are age personalities. So they have a lot of energy and motivation, but they're sometimes lacking the satisfaction of what they've already accomplished or created. And they always want more. Okay, so that's H, just in a nutshell there. Now we're going to talk about water. So water is called koach hachiyut, chiyut from the word life, right? We need water to live. And koach hata'anug, which means the the koach, the um, desire for the power of pleasure, ta'anug. So the lowest level of a water person is somebody who's an addictive personality, right? That's when water's taken over the person. There's no boundaries. They they just have to have more and more, okay? The highest level of a water person, and of course it's a spectrum, it's a continuum, right? We're talking about the two extremes here. So The highest level is Somebody who experiences pleasure through relationships, through spiritual growth, through nature, people who experience a deep connection to things. They have a lot of gratitude, and they are constantly noticing the beauty of Hashem's world. So they're taking pleasure in all of those simple things, if you like, right? Things that the coronavirus has made us have to go back to the basics, you know? and appreciate or fix the relationships around us because we can't get away from them and begin to appreciate, you know, the smaller things in life as i was saying at the beginning of this class before the recording was on you know you don't know what you've got till it's gone from people who haven't been able to breathe during the coronavirus right the smallest thing of being
1: able to take a nice deep breath And realizing how fortunate you are,
0: you know, to, you know, I'm on another class during the week where they're doing this exercise of taking away one body part or focusing on one body part, whether it's internal or external, and imagining that you don't have, it. you know, like your eyelashes, like what are they there for, your thumb you know, or even an internal organ. That seems to be something that you didn't know much about. But if it wasn't working properly, you wouldn't be able to go about your day in the way that you do. So water people are able to focus in on that on the highest level and get tremendous pleasure from the things that most people take for granted. And as we said, when a person is grateful and and sends that gratitude up to Hashem, Hashem only wants to give them more, much like a parent who has a child who's very grateful for everything they get. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, what? I'm so happy you got this for me. That kid you want to give more to. You don't want to give it to the kid that says, oh, that's what you got me. Yeah, I don't like that. That's the wrong color. Don't you know I like blue? Whatever it is. We all have that kid-like quality sometimes, but we know that it's a it's a foundational idea, right? That the more the child sucks from the mother, the more milk comes in. And the idea is, is that the more we recognize that all of the good that we have is coming to us from Hashem, like that nursing baby, the more will come in when we send up our gratitude to Hashem. Okay. Um, so, the moderate level of a water personality is the question, what is my relationship to the things that give me pleasure? And the water person always has to ask themselves, how much is too much? You know, how much is too much? Do we order another dish at the restaurant or, you know, is it enough? You know, we were just in Florida, you could walk by some people's tables and it's just incredible what's on there. You wonder how they're going to eat this, how they, why they're paying so much for it when they can't fit it into their tummies. But that's the balance of being a water person, of asking yourself and recognizing that we have this grabbing, right? We come into the world as the uh, Talmud teaches. We come into the world with our hands like this. Gimme, 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 gimme. And we leave the world with our hands open. Because we all know we can't take it with us, right? But we forget when we're going through life that there are other things that are much more important to grab while we're here, like mitzvahs and good relationships and and connection to Hashem and spiritual growth. Okay, so a very balanced person sees themselves as not just one element but rather a blend of all four. And they use each element to balance the other. Now, the last element is Afar, earth. And this is the koach the the um, propensity towards sadness, etzav, the sadness. Now, the highest level of earth, of an Afar personality are people who create structure right? Because we associate earth with solid, stable people. A person who's a high Afar personality might become an administrator or a Dayan because they're people who give form to things. The lowest manifestation of Afar is the sad person, the heavy person, the one who has a hard time getting going in the morning or whenever, who's unmotivated, it's hard for them to get things done. You know, might be the person who walks around in fuzzy slippers in their house coat, which I think would be a good day to do that if you can. <laughs> you know, you don't want to go outside. It's supposed to be freezing, okay? You know, and then they're scratching their head and wondering, why didn't I get anything done today? You know, they were on Facebook for hours or, you know, wasting time with who knows what. And this is the Afar struggle. Now, of course, some of this is home air, right? It's the way that we're made. Some people just have a harder time getting going. But the average Afar person suffers with the need for structure and predictability. So an Afar person can have a really hard time being flexible. You know, when COVID comes and you need to be more flexible. And you don't know whether you're going to be able to travel in a month, or you don't know if you're going to be able to make that wedding with more than 10 people. Right. And you don't know if school is going to be open tomorrow and whether you're going to have a paycheck next week. So this is very difficult for the Afar personality who likes stability
1: and predictability and structure. Okay. But like every other um, Element,
0: right we are trying to not be extreme we're trying to walk the middle path which is what the rumbum says is how a person measures whether they're developing their character traits not to be too extreme on either side not too stingy and not too generous right not too um well not too easily angered obviously that one he says we have to go to the opposite extreme with anger but in general with all the different character traits we want to try and walk the middle path okay and that of course the elements in our character traits interact
1: with each other so um so we don't want to become too extreme so an example that Dina
0: gives is you know you're able to go and visit your grandchildren even though you don't like the way your daughter-in-law makes chillent, And you don't like the bed that you're sleeping in over there, right? So, you know, the Afar person, I might say, forget it. I'm not going. It's not the way I like it. It's not, I'm not comfortable there. I'm not this. But you overcome that, right? Here we go with the impulse control for the sake of relationship, right? For the sake of relationship. So the um, movement-oriented person, the wind person, may be gifted with a lot of versatility, a lot of flexibility. They'll do very well in new situations. But the thing that the Ruach person might struggle with is this need for change, constant change, never sort of being able, you know, you can imagine the wind, right? Blowing things everywhere. The wind person, we talked about it in terms of speech, but another aspect of wind is that they're never they're never feeling settled. They always want something, you know, new, a need for change. Let's move again. Let's sell our house. Let's move to Israel. You know, life is getting stale. We've got we to gotta keep moving. So Hashem puts people together with people that are very different than them. And he does this purposefully in order for us to try and balance ourselves and to, you know, develop and find Balance in those elements. You know, there's an idea called imago therapy, which is about a couple's therapy. And the idea is that the person you marry comes to unfreeze. There's a part of you that's frozen, this frozen potential. And, you know, your partner comes to unfreeze that frozen potential in you. Now, it's not always comfortable or enjoyable, right? I always say very often the thing that attracts you to your spouse, the thing that you loved about them during the courtship is the same thing that drives you crazy after you're married. So that thing that, you know, really like, and a lot of times we marry somebody who we don't have that. We don't have that character trait. So we want it. And the way we get it is by marrying the person who has it. But of course, it's the same thing that causes friction and and problem because we don't have it, even though we might admire it from a distance. Or there's even another idea that, you know, whatever your parents told you that you're not, you know, you're not organized. You're Sir Flaugin. You are a scatterbrain. You are whatever. You're going to be attracted to marrying somebody who's got all their ducks lined up in a row, who puts the spices in alphabetical order, you know, because... At the very deepest root of our personalities from the time we're little, you know, we want to please our parents. We want our parents to say, ah, you're just perfect now. And obviously this is a sublimation of the fact that our parents represent God, right? Our parents really ultimately represent Hashem, the ultimate parent who we want to say, look at me, I'm perfect, you know, I'm scatterbrained, but I married somebody who isn't, so that's almost like I'm not, right? So that's another way that we
1: <clears throat> choose our spouses subconsciously. Okay, a little, anyway, in Tehillim,
0: Um, oh, I didn't write down the whole thing here, but there's an idea in Tehillim, I wish I could find the passive, that Dina quotes a lot, which is basically that God puts people together in a house and sort of handcuffs them. The word there in that pasuk is that they're handcuffed. So it's almost like against our will that Hashem has to put us with people who cause us friction because they're different than us, but that actually it's good for us because it causes us to grow. I remember, just to be very transparent, I remember at the beginning of our marriage, my husband and I went to a rabbi to discuss certain issues. And the way he put it is he said, where you meet in the middle will be perfection. Okay. So, you know, but to get to that middle, right, when you're like so different is a lot of work. But that middle is that middle path
1: that each one of us individually have to struggle and get to so so it says the um, so the Aish, okay so these elements also struggle
0: with each other within us okay so an example of this would be the ash mayam struggle which is most manifest at the raising children stage
1: so the ash mother will do everything for her children You know, she wants them to become the
0: absolutely best people they can be. The Mayan parent, Dina says, might be the one that just sits on the couch and laughs with the child all day and reads them stories and isn't so uptight about, you know, just has a different way of raising her children. Um, And the truth is, is the popular parent of the two would be the one who it's just a to be with, right? There's no expectations. There's no like, Always like, you know, did you do your homework? Uh, You know, you got to get to Harvard. I I need you to become a doctor. You know, like what's going on with you? Get going, right? Um, The ACE parent is going to be the one that says, you're not good enough yet, right? I got to get you a tutor. You know, you need more lessons. You need more extracurricular activities, right? So the question is, can a person change their element? Or do we just become more of what we are? The age person, again, is always worried that their kid has to have the right teacher, that their kid has to have the right friends, right? That they have to have, you know, the right extracurricular lessons. And the water person is more like, he'll be okay. It's fine. It doesn't matter. You know, it'll be fine. Interesting, because I know a couple that are like that. The brother is mine, uh, the father, and he's much more laid back and relaxed. And the mother, my sister-in-law, comes from a very, you know, a very accomplished family. I think everybody's a doctor in the family. And, of course, all through their children's education, you know, the worry of the kid being in the right class with the right teacher, with the right setting, with everything else, was constantly driving her crazy. And he was more from the, you know... From the benign neglect family that we came from which is you're gonna be fine it's okay get up and do it again whatever I don't care you know figure it out yourself you'll survive right I always joke that my mother if I fell down the stairs would be at the bottom of it going you're fine get up and go to school you know it's like what <laughs> you know I mean she just wanted us out of the house I don't know what it was But, you know, and if I remember if it was the time of the month and I was like, you know, feeling lousy, she'd say, you know what, if you go to school, you'll forget about it all. You'll be busy. You'll be with your friends. Just trust me. Go to school. You know, I don't know. Anyway, that was that was the kind of I grew up with. But if you're married to somebody where, you know, they're trying to control everything in the environment. It's very,
1: very difficult. So. And, you know, even in
0: terms of being married, you know, the differences between being married an age person and a water person, right? So it says, um, you know, let's say you're on vacation with your husband and you're a water person and he's an Aish person. No, you're an age person and he's a water person. <clears throat> so if you're an age person, you're going to want to go everywhere and do everything right on that on that vacation, you know, let's go, let's do new things. And uh, let's go to the caves today. Let's go try Indian cuisine. And the husband's saying, listen, I just want to sit in a chair and relax. You know, my husband and I once went skiing. (laughs) And, you know, it's always a joke that, um, you know, we were doing the bunny hill for a while. And then I said, come on, let's do the big hills now. And, you know, he couldn't keep up with me. I was just going higher and higher to the bigger and the bigger. And unfortunately he ended up just by standing on the hill flipping and breaking his rib, and I was up on a chairlift, uh, and I see him, you know, on the ground with the, you know, emergency sled, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on, and uh, anyway, my husband's joke is, I have to break a rib in order to be able to relax on a vacation, you know, like, that's the only way you're gonna let me relax, okay, so there's a little bit of a... So
1: I struggle with people who are different with me, but they're there to balance us. So what are the pitfalls of being a Mayan person,
0: a water person, somebody who goes with the flow? So we, we gave this analogy in other classes, but I think it's a great analogy. That if you water a tree or a plant and you give it too little water, it's not going to grow well. So we do need a certain amount of pleasures in our life. And each person has to figure out what is too little for them and what might be too much. Because if you water a tree and you give it too much water, you also impede its growth. It's such a good analogy of finding the right balance. Or let's say you give that tree the wrong kind of water, right? You by mistake, pour bleach into the tree instead of water. So even when it comes to the pleasures that we choose, we want to choose obviously permitted pleasures that the Torah outlines. God wants us to have pleasure. We need pleasure for spiritual growth. And there are people who deny themselves pleasure in the, in the, um, you know, uh, in a way that's almost spiritually ostentatious. I like to say, you know, look how pious I am. Look how I don't need all that material stuff you need, you know, but there is a certain, um, bitterness. So as, um, As Dina Schoemaker says, some people don't forgive themselves
1: pleasure, right? And this is the too little water. This can be a detriment to spiritual growth. You know, it's
0: a certain character trait of not seeing your own needs as important or necessary, denying yourself, right? I'm sure a lot of us grew up with that. You know, you don't need that. You don't have to have that. That's an extra. That's a fringe benefit. Don't waste your money on that. But then we know if we can break through that. And once in a while, we buy that little chachka, right? That we really like. That's really pretty. That
1: makes us happy. And it's not necessary. I could live without it, but it gives us a certain joy then, you know, we should get it and we should buy it because if that's what you need, and again, everybody has to be realistic
0: with who they are. If you grew up with a certain kind of opulence, with a a certain material well-being and you go to a rabbi, let's say, and you're living a Kolel life and you say, you know, I don't want to be so different from all the other Kolel couples who are living very frugally, but I, I'm a reich, I grew up in a certain way. You know, so the, the rabbi would say, listen, for you, you need a decent couch, you know, you need a nice couch, you can't live on a couch with rips in it, or stains on it. You have to be honest with where you came from, and that will sometimes determine what you need, or sometimes, you know, you were denied so much that you over overcompensate. By needing more than the average person. Or maybe that is what you need. Or the opposite. You could have grown up with a lot. And having much less than you had growing up doesn't bother you at all. Because you know that you've traded that for something that's much more meaningful for you. Right? So you don't feel like you're, you're losing or missing out. Anyway, it's all very interesting. So Bachi Galant in her book, Stages of Spiritual Growth. Um, addresses this idea of doing chesed for yourself, self-care, which is this idea of water. Rav Sadok says there's three levels of chesed, doing chesed for yourself, doing for others, and the third level is where your self-nurturance and your nurturance of others merge together in the right balance. Many women, many from women, religious women and women in general, I think it's a Jewish, you know, Jewish mama syndrome, right? They'll skip the first stage of doing chesed for themselves. I mean, I think we've gotten over this a lot in this generation. If anything, we say this is a narcissistic generation. I always put myself first. I always make sure that I've got what I need. We, uh, you know, we, we tend to give too much water as a generation to dest- that destroys the plant but still there is a type of personality uh, you know who's always skipping that first stage of doing chesed for themselves and you know that idea of don't be a shmata you know um but really it's not about being a shmata you know doing chesed for others is not being a shmata the shmata comes when you don't do any chesed for yourself first right it's like You've got to put on your oxygen mask first, as they say in the airplane, before you could put on everybody else's. So there's always that balance of making sure, you know, some women will, would eat dinner before their kids come home, or they'd make sure to, you know, relax before their kids came home so that they could be the very best that they could be. Um... So the problem with that is inherently that your giving is going to be tainted if you're not giving to yourself first. Because when you give to others and you don't give to yourself, your giving can have a certain level of condescension. You know, I'm giving to you because you're obviously needy and you need something, not like me. You know, I don't need anything. In other words, you know, there's a certain condescension, even when you're doing chesed coming from a place of you know mixed emotions certain resentments i don't need this but obviously you do so anger and jealousy can also be mixed into the chesed you know there's a certain resentment where you know subconsciously you're saying okay you're getting your needs met but what about me so bachigela talks a lot about how chesed to the self is not self-indulgence but rather it sets you up to be a good giver. Like we said, put your oxygen mask on first and then you can assist other people. So we talked about too little water and the idea that maybe you need to water your plant first and give it enough. You know, it's about your relationship to the, to the wider world. And too much water is there's so much indulgence, excessive use of pleasures in this world. And that's something also that we have to be aware
1: that we're living in a time where excessive pleasure is out of control. And then there's the wrong kind of water. Okay. So when we overuse the pleasures of this world, it gets in the way of our motivation. And reaching our best self. So Dina Schoomaker gives a few examples. She says it's interesting that the same kids who sign up to work
0: with handicapped kids at camp. They could have been in the most luxurious camps in the summer. They many of them came from come from very, very wealthy families. But they choose to want to work at Camp Hask or Camp Simcha, right? the entire summer with developmentally handicapped kids. And she says the reason they do this on a subconscious elemental level is because they want to evaporate some of the water in their life because they're drowning in excess. These kids want to work hard. They want to schlep around these handicapped kids instead of where they could be lounging on the beach and being in motor, you know, being a horseback riding and, uh, traveling the world on some of these expensive expensive summer camps but they'll choose a summer like this because it's like the idea that you know we talked about what we haven't talked about much but in the shema the idea of wanting an old wanting some purpose some thing that you have a responsibility for and unfortunately today we're, we're we're drowning our kids in this excess of as they say of materialism and we ruin it's like you lose your taste buds
1: and you can't taste anything if there's too much you know um i think i mentioned this before but
0: dina schoonmaker says she once attended a conference and there was a panel of rabbis and somebody stood up one of the people in the audience said you know how can i Encourage my son to have more enjoyment in tefillah when he prays. And Rabbi Elephant said, listen, you want him to enjoy prayer, which is, you know, the essence of prayer is, Hashem, I'm lacking and I need you to fill my lack, right? The the essence of prayer, prier in French, is to beg God, right, for those things that are missing, Whether it's material, whether it's spiritual. And Rabbi Elephant says, Listen, you want him to enjoy tefillah, but he's drowning in sushi. You know, he never gets to feel any kind of lack because you're always there or whatever society is telling him. You've got to have this, you've got to have that. So, you know, we're living in a generation where everything is available when it comes to materialism. And of course, the Yates Hara wants to tell us that if you just have this and you just have that and you just get yourself this, like everybody else has, then you're going to still that voice of the soul, which wants something much deeper than anything that the physical world can give us, right? Like we gave an analogy once, we're getting close to the end, of the peasant who doesn't desire the king's daughter. Because he understands the king's daughter is way above his level. He understands, but this is the idea of the body and the soul, that the peasant is the material world. That he understands that no matter what I could give to the king's daughter materially, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to satisfy her. So, too, we can give the soul all the material pleasures of this world, but the soul never gets satisfied with those things. The soul only is satisfied by spiritual, by the spiritual things in life, by the closer and closer connection to God from where it came from. And the material world is simply a means. It's a, simply a means for us to be able to quiet the body and allow the soul to do what it, to, to take um, charge. Right. It says basically the material, the physical is, you know, for the soul to be to say, OK, you got what you need. You can be quiet now. And now I can take you right
1: to where we both need to get to, which is a closer connection to God. So, you know, the other thing is we talked about the wrong kind of water,
0: water, water. Watering a plant with bleach that will kill it. So there's certain pleasures that are not conducive to my growth. For example, addictive substances. Technology use, right? Today, technology use is like one of those addictive substances that so many of us are hooked on. So many of our kids are. So many parents Bringing up children today are so distracted by their phones. You know, I recently advised somebody whose kids were fighting all the time, like fighting, fighting, fighting. You know, I said, you know, what about putting your phone away from four to eight? Start with that. As soon as they come home from school, putting it away in a cupboard, locking it if you have to. And letting your kids know they are the only focus. Because maybe they're fighting because that's how they get your attention. That's how they get you
1: off your phone. Which you're totally absorbed in. Totally. But this is the
0: kind of water, this pleasure that we get from pressing buttons and having an immediate, I think we get an immediate dopamine Boost or something, right? When we hear those dings and we hear those rings, it's like video games was when we were kids, right? You couldn't get off of them. Because we're wired to want that stimulation. And isn't it so much easier than having to pay attention to a bunch of rotten kids around you? You know, it's such a great way to disappear. God forbid, rotten. But you know, needy kids, it's so much easier to disappear into that. So the wrong type of pleasure, pleasure, you know, um, when you're busy checking your messages all the time, do you actually feel refreshed after this? They did
1: a study and not one person said yes. So again, it could be that one person's excess is another person's normal. And, you know, we have to recognize
0: that we all have things that drag us down and
1: take us away from what we could be better doing with our time. Okay. Um, okay, I think we're going to end here. And we'll continue next week, God willing, with
0: this topic of tava, ta'iva which really, again, we're going to um, define as controlling our impulses. And we saw today in this class, how in every single element, fire, wind, water, and earth, how in every one of these elements, we're going to have certain extremes. And where Taiva fits in is the ability to control our impulses in each of these elements, since we're all, we all have all of them within us. And we're going to be examining more and more what those um, impulses are that are specific to each of the elements. Okay, I hope you enjoyed the class. If
1: anybody wants to comment, I'd love to hear what you have to say.